Philip Yancey, the well-known Christian popular author, has said the following about the resurrection. In many respects, I find an unresurrected Jesus easier to accept. And he says, Easter makes him dangerous. Because of Easter, I have to listen to his extravagant claims, and I can no longer pick and choose from his sayings. Moreover, Easter means he must be loose out there somewhere. It would be easier to believe in a Jesus that had not been resurrected, right? You don't have to put up with his words. You don't have to deal with him. But if he's alive, if he's alive right now, you know what implication that has for us on this Easter morning? Is that he wants to speak to you and me. A living being, a living Savior wants to speak to us on the day when we celebrate His resurrection. Would you open Scripture today to Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. And as you open Scripture there, let me give you some warnings. Uh, This is one of the most difficult passages about the resurrection from which we can preach. And I'll tell you why. There's a sense in which The Gospel of Mark is an incomplete gospel. For those of you who already found the place, some of you in the the versions you may have, there is an asterisk after verse 8. And the asterisk says something of the following nature. The earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. That is true. There is a sense in which we do not have the full ending of the Gospel of Mark. So what we're reading today is what all scholars, all theologians, all resources attest that for sure these last, these eight verses in the Gospel of Mark, for sure were there. We may not be as sure about verses 9 through 20, but for sure verses 1 through 8 are there. And here's the great news about it, that they tell us enough of what we need to know about Easter. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Here's the word of the Lord for all of us today. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, They were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples. And Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. 
they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Amen. Let's pray. Father, on this amazing morning, on this glorious morning, we praise your name because you have resurrected your son from the grave, from death. On this day, we pray that the word that is now a witness to us would testify to us of the resurrection, of the reality that you have done for us. Lord, I pray that this witness that we have heard, the witness that we have sung, would speak to our hearts today. In the name of Jesus we pray, and for his honor and, and, and glory. Amen. The title of my message today is Witnessing the Resurrection. Witnessing the Resurrection, the Gospel of Mark, gives us a, an interesting account. Uh, on one side, a very, very well-known account of the resurrection, but at the, sec- at, the, at the second time, on the other side, it's a difficult account. For one, it's difficult because it's short. And on the other, time, on the other side, it's, it's difficult because of the way it ends and the emphasis that Mark uh, brings out in this gospel. Now, the four evangelists have different ways of presenting the resurrection, yet all four include two elements. All four accounts of the resurrection would talk about the empty tomb and about the w- visit of the women as the first witnesses of the resurrection. And actually, Mark, as I said at the beginning, the, the only sure account that we have about, about the Gospel of Mark is that he includes these two elements, the tomb and the visit of the women. Yet, Mark also says something crucial, something different, a different emphasis about these women who visited the tomb that none of the other evangelists bring out. In, in, in the Gospel of Mark, it's not simply that the women are the first witnesses to the resurrection. In the Gospel of Mark, he mentions the three women, and this is very unusual for Mark. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, Mark does not like to talk about the names of the people who are involved in his Gospel. So here you have in the, in the, in the resurrection account, the names, the three names, the three women that are coming out to visit the tomb. And what's surprising is that in, within 10 verses, this is the third time that Mark's get, Mark gives the names of these three women. Why would he be so interested all of a sudden at the end of the gospel about giving names, specific names, not only once, but three times? The first time appears in chapter 15, verse 40. And by the way, look and observe what are the contexts, what, are the, what is the situation in which Mark gives the names of these women. Mark 15, 40, it is as, they, as these women, these three women were watching the crucifixion from a distance. Remember, Thursday night we talked about, about watching the crucifixion from a distance. These women are there and their names are given. There are other women there as well, but these are the three that are given. Then in verse 47, they are present at the burial of Jesus. At, as they, he was laid in the tomb, they're there, they watched, they saw where they put him. And finally, now, they're the first witnesses to the tomb. Why is Mark emphasizing their names in these three situations, in these three scenarios? Because for Mark, it's very important to identify and to establish that the resurrection was marked by eyewitnesses. And those who, were, who had witnessed the resurrection, the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection, were not just witnesses of the resurrection. 
but they were witnesses of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's why for the Gospel of Mark, witnessing, witnessing the resurrection, eyewitnesses, is so crucial. Well, today we will be looking at this theme of witnessing the resurrection, and we'll talk about the message that Mark gives about these witnesses of the resurrection. Three things, three short things. A message of limitation, a message of hope, a message of comfort. Three things that the the witnesses in Mark's gospel tell us in a way that none of the other gospels bring before our eyes. And there's a sense in which this is why it's hard to preach from the gospel of Mark a message of the resurrection. Because we like to think about the resurrection as the news that was so readily received. People were just awaiting for it. Oh, I can't wait until it happens. I can't wait until it happens. It's like the children who are told the Saturday night before that something great will happen Sunday morning and they can't wait. They can go to sleep because of, of what will happen Sunday morning. And sometimes we have this rosy picture of the resurrection. But the Gospel of Mark helps us tone down and get a picture of the human way, of the human way the resurrection was received and was accepted. And the first message that we see in the Gospel of Mark is a message of limitation, a message of human limitation. Now, two things that really tell us about this human limitation. First of all, the Gospel of Mark presents the women as they were traveling to the tomb, and it gives us a little picture of what was the discussion of these three women on on the way to the tomb. What could three women talk on the way to a cemetery? What would be they concerned about? What is it that they would be worried about? You know, the Gospel of Mark is the only Gospel of all the Gospels who gives us an insight into the question the women asked. You know what the question was? Look at verse 2 and 3. Very early in the morning, the, next, uh, the, the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on the way to a tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Why is this question worth documenting? Of all the questions you could think about, of all the questions that would be worth putting in a gospel narrative, why document this one question? Not only that, but we know that women, they have done everything well up until this point. They prepared the spices, they bought the spices ahead of time, the night before, and they got ready. But as they left the house, one thing was left untaken care of. One detail was, was, was slipping through the cracks of their pre- presentation, their preparation. What was it? Who will roll away the stone? Now, why is this question important? The text doesn't tell us. But here are my two cents. I think there are two reasons why I think the text is, is giving us why or why we think from the, from the text. First of all, to show that in the minds of these women there's not even the slightest hope, the slightest intuition that something miraculous will happen on that morning. There's nothing in the, in the minds of these women, even though they may have heard Jesus' predictions several times throughout the gospel, throughout the story. When they come and when Mark documents this their question, who will roll the stone away? For them, it, is, it might have this purpose, to show that these women, along with all the other disciples, did not expect the resurrection. 
It was unexpected. But there might be another reason to show that their concern for dealing with what they considered a great obstacle had to be addressed. Who will roll away the stone? These women figure out that between their journey, between their spices that they had prepared and bought, and actually delivering them to Jesus, anointing the body of Jesus, there was an obstacle. And that obstacle was a large stone. Mark chapter four, uh, verse 4 tell, tells us that the stone was very large. They pondered, they thought, here's a great obstacle, a large stone, we cannot handle it. Who will roll it away for us? Point is, that's how Mark describes the journey to the tomb. That these women are, are concerned about, about who, about how, will the obstacle be taken away? How will they get to Jesus? And, and Mark emphasizes the limitation of these women to get to Jesus. Their inability to get to Jesus, and, and these women knew it. For these women, the stone was an impossible obstacle to handle. That's the question. Who will roll the stone? But the limitation of these women is highlighted not only at the beginning of the story. There's another limitation that Mark highlights. And it's at the end of the story. And there's a sense in which this limitation at the end of the story is much greater and much more important than the first limitation. Look at the way the story of Mark's gospel here in, chap- in verse 8 ends. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Why such an unexpected reaction to the news of the resurrection? Why is Mark putting the spotlight on this reaction? Why is, why is it this way that the women respond? And it's, this is why Mark is so hard to preach on. Because all the other Gospels talk about the joyful and immediate reaction of the women. And Mark says, hold on, there's another insight. And the first thing we have to grasp and realize is, well, do we have here two different stories? Why are the other Gospels telling us a different emphasis? And why is Mark presenting this reality? Well, here's something we have to realize about, about the Gospel of Mark. These details are not incongruent. They're not contradicting each other. One thing we have to realize about the Gospel of Mark is the following, that throughout the Gospel of Mark, the author is trying to highlight the human limitation of disciples as they were following Jesus. They're always hard to understand. They always had a difficulty in comprehending who Jesus is. They were not the first ones to understand and perceive that Jesus is a Son of God. The first ones in the Gospel of Mark to understand that Jesus is the Son of the Most High, are not human beings, are the demons. And even the first human beings to understand Jesus to be the Son of God are not the disciples. It's a Roman soldier on the, at the cross. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, Mark is emphasizing this theme of the failure of discipleship. The human limitations, the human limitations that those closest to Jesus had as they were following Jesus. So now when Mark describes and comes to the end and describes the way, the reaction of these women to the resurrection, he's going to point out there's fear, there was trembling, there was bewilderment, there was silence. Now, is this the last word on the gospel? 
story? No. We know that eventually the disciples get the news. We know that eventually the women will tell the news. But this is the first reaction. This is the first reaction these women had. And that's why Mark is pointing out the discipleship failure. But there's something else that's happening here. There's something else that really has an implication for us. And it's the following reality. Receiving the message of the resurrection is, humanly speaking, a great difficulty. And there might be here someone, some of you here perhaps, somebody may have invited you. And for you in your mind, you're still struggling with this notion of resurrection. Can I simply affirm and say, the message of the resurrection is, humanly speaking, hard and difficult to get. And that's the point of Mark's gospel. He does not want to paint a rosy picture of the disciples. And sometimes we fall in this trap of, of imagining the disciples that they, they always got it right. They are the supermodels, the superheroes. And we just, if we could just follow the disciples. Mark says, no, they did not always get it right. Even as they heard the first message of the resurrection, there was fear, there was bewilderment, there was difficulty, and worst of all, there was silence. What this means for us, dear friends, is that the message of the resurrection is a message that in our best human abilities, the best human abilities that can process this, the best we can come up with is trembling, bewilderment, fear, and silence. Now last year we, we emphasized something that the Gospel of Matthew said and highlighted about the resurrection that another emphasis, another way people can respond to the resurrection is in the way the soldiers responded. Namely, they were, they were there, they saw the event, they were there with the earthquake, but even though they saw the evidence, they still chose to spread a lie. Why? Because of money. Because of greed. Human ability, friends, here's the point, and Mark brings this out again this year. Human ability cannot recognize, cannot accept the resurrection message. And if you're here today and you're struggling with it, you're not alone. The first witnesses of the resurrection went through a similar struggle. They, were, they went through a similar hard time of trying to understand what does this mean? What, how can we comprehend this? Is there hope for us? Is there hope to to go beyond the human ability to comprehend the message of the resurrection? Absolutely. But the hope is not in the evidence of the resurrection. The hope is not simply in seeing the evidence with your eyes, seeing the empty tomb, seeing the angel, as miraculous as those things can be. And sometimes we might think and say, oh, if I was there, had I been there to see it for myself, you would still not believe. Because an empty tomb and and seeing the angel and perhaps experiencing the earthquake will not move us to faith. Because faith can only come about when we encounter the living Savior. Faith can only come about in our hearts when we actually meet with Jesus. And you know what's amazing? In all the Gospels, 
with the exception of the account of Peter and John who run to the tomb, all the Gospels emphasize the inability of the first witnesses to believe, to do something about it, and they only get to realize and accept and adore and worship when they encounter Christ. When they have a living encounter with the living Christ. And friends, what that means to you and me today, the first message of the, God of the resurrection is, it's a message of human limitation. We cannot comprehend it with our human abilities unless Jesus, unless the living Lord reveals Himself to us. Unless He, unless he comes in and we might not be able to take a, the same kind of physical experience that the, the disciples had, but you and I today have the ability to encounter Christ through faith. Unle- unless He will speak to your heart, unless He will reveal Himself to your soul, you cannot believe the resurrection on your own power. That's why the Gospel of Mark is so hard to preach. Because the first message is a message of limitation. But then look at, look at the second point. Mark is not just trying to emphasize how the women responded to the message of the angel. The emphasis really, the ultimate, the core of the Easter message is the message of the angel. It's a message of divine hope. Mark is brilliant in recording this account. What was perceived the obstacle for these women to, to, to get to Jesus was a stone. Remember? What was the question they asked on the way to the tomb? Who will take care of the stone? That was their perceived obstacle to get to Jesus, to anoint Jesus' body. But there was another obstacle that they could not comprehend. An obstacle that was way greater for them to, to even think about, to inquire about it. There was another obstacle that did not allow them to get to Jesus to anoint his body. You know what that obstacle was? The resurrection. Do we realize that the, women, uh, the mission of these women to the tomb was a failed mission? They went to anoint Jesus' body. They went to put spices on him because that was customary. And their mission failed, not because of what their perceived obstacle Not because of the stone, but because of another obstacle. It was because of Jesus' absence from the tomb. It was because of Jesus' resurrection. And Mark is pointing this out. He's preparing the reader. Who will deal with the obstacle with a big stone? That's a small stuff. The biggest issue is who will deal with the obstacle of understanding that Jesus has risen. The second message of the, of the resurrection morning is a message of divine hope. Because what they could not comprehend, what they could not even think about inquiring, God has already done. The biggest obstacle, the greatest obstacle they really encountered was death. Because they were going to go to the tomb to deal with a dead body. But they realized that God had taken care of a greater enemy, of a greater obstacle on the resurrection morning, not the stone, but the power of death. The angelic news has four short sentences, and after the customary address not to be alarmed, and by the way, everywhere, every time an angel appears in any part of the Gospels, in any part of the New Testament or the Old Testament, 
there is this message, don't be alarmed. There's nothing unique about that. It's normal for them to be alarmed. But there's something else that really caused bewilderment. It's something else that caused in the, in the minds of these women fear and silence. It was the message they heard. Four statements that the angel brings to them. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. That's an important statement. Because the angel identifies that the one who he is going to talk about is the same one that the women have seen crucified, the same one that the women have witnessed as he was placed in the tomb. That's why the message of of the Easter resurrection morning is a message that connects Jesus after Easter with a Jesus prior to Easter. The Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified, he has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. There is something absolutely amazing about these words. And one unknown pastor said the following, The world offers promises full of emptiness, but Easter offers emptiness full of promises. Do we realize the kind of hope we see in an empty tomb? This message that He is not here offers the greatest hope that human beings can ever, ever comprehend and get. How is this message, how is this news a message of divine hope? Think of it this way. Before this resurrection account, Jesus had raised other people from the dead. There was a daughter of Jairus whom he raised from the dead. There was a son of a widow from Nain who Jesus raised from the dead. There was the friend, his good friend, Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. But Jesus' resurrection is totally different than all these other miracles. Because with Jesus' resurrection, death is not merely escaped for a period of time, but is conquered forever. All the other ones who have been resurrected, who have been brought back from death to life, have eventually died. But in the resurrection of Jesus on the Easter morning, the message of hope that the angel brings is that this Jesus has conquered death. He had not simply escaped it. He had conquered it. You and I think about a greater enemy, a greater obstacle that that you and I can ever face in this world. It is not the Middle East. It is not the terrorists. It is not the Al-Qaeda. It is not different group, people groups. Friends, the greatest enemy you and I face is the enemy of death. And the message of hope that the angel brings to these women is he has risen. He has conquered the enemy. And even though we may not see the full implications of that victory today, one of the things that the angel communicates clearly is that Jesus' resurrection ushers in the kingdom of God, the realm of God, when God, the power of God, begins to take place in our daily earthly experience. He has risen. That's why the New Testament elsewhere describes the resurrection of Jesus as the first fruit from among the dead. The first fruit, the rest of the fruit is you and I. Message of of human limitation, a message of divine hope. Finally, a message of comfort. 
a message of comfort. Look at verse 7. Besides the angel telling these women, He has risen, He's not here. Look at the place where they laid Him. There's another message that the angel gives these women. Actually, it's a command. Look at verse 7. But go, tell His disciples, and Peter, He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see Him just as He told you. Now, why is this a message of comfort? Two reasons. First of all, because it's addressed only to the disciples and Peter. Why didn't the angel tell the women, go tell everybody. Go tell everyone you see that he is risen. Why is the angel telling the women, go tell the disciples and Peter. This is targeted evangelism, folks. You, contain, you, you give the message just to a few people. Why only to those? Why only to these 11? And why is the angel saying to the disciples and to Peter? Was Peter not among the disciples that he had to be added to the list? He was. He was the main of the disciples. But why to Peter? Remember who was the most zealous. Remember who was the one whom, whose, whom, whose prediction or whose disowning Jesus predicted Three times, Jesus said, three times, Peter, you will disown me. Why, Peter? Why and Peter? Because it was very possible that these disciples, when they have heard the message of the resurrection, when they have heard that Jesus might be alive, the first reaction may not have been a message of joy. The first reaction may have been a message of, Oh, my Lord. We have to face the one whom we have disowned. How can you face him? What will, what will he say to you? What will he, his rebuke be to you? There's a message of comfort here because the angel says something, a phrase absolutely critical. It's not coincidental. He doesn't say to the women, go tell the disciples Jesus is risen. He says, go tell the disciples, look at verse 7, that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And then the phrase, just as he told you. Now why is this phrase important? Because the prediction that Jesus gave about the disciples, that they will all fall away. Look at chapter 14, verses 27 and 28. We looked at it uh, Thursday and Friday night. But look at the way Jesus predicted how the disciples will respond. Verse 27 and 28, You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. A message of, of, of sadness. But look at verse 28. In the same prediction, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. In other words, when the angel says back to the women, go tell the disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you into Galilee, just as he told you, he's referencing the prediction that Jesus gave him just two days ago. And it's not just saying, hey, remember he told you he's going to go into Galilee? The notion is, he, the angel is reminding the disciples and the women of the entire prediction that Jesus gave him. But the reason why this is a message of comfort is the following. Because Jesus predicted their failure before they failed. 
And it was not for the purpose of rebuking them. It was not for the purpose of raising their alertness. It's for the purpose of telling them he knows what will happen. But nevertheless, he's still making plans to see them in Galilee. Why Galilee? Because Galilee was the place where they were first called. Why Galilee? Because Galilee was the place where they first ministered. Why is Jesus calling them and making plans before their failure to meet them in Galilee after their failure? Because it's a message of comfort. Jesus knew of their failure. Jesus knew that the human limitation is so weak, is so limited, the human ability is so limited, they will not be able to stand the crucifixion. They will not be able to stand even Gethsemane. They will not be able to withstand even the questioning that Peter will encounter from, from various people in the, cor- in, the, in, the, in the courtyard if he's a follower of Jesus. Jesus knew all that, and nevertheless, he made plans to meet them again in Galilee. A message of comfort. Some of you today feel that you have failed the Lord too much. Too many times. You might not have the courage to come back to Him. You remember telling Him that you will never let go of Him. Yet you did. So did Peter. And so did the disciples. And Jesus knew that, but He still made plans to meet His disciples in Galilee. And in the resurrection account, the ultimate failure is not to disown Jesus. It's not to desert desert Jesus The ultimate failure in the Gospel of Counts is not to make the journey to Galilee where Jesus wants to meet you. And the only one among the twelve who did not make that journey was Judas. My friend, the Easter account, the Easter story in the Gospel of Mark is a message of comfort. If you're here today and hear this message and feel that you have disappointed the Lord, that you have made bad plans... Here's the a, here's, here's a great news. The Lord had made plans before you had failed to meet you again. And He wants to meet you again right here, right now. It is, no matter how much you have failed, no matter how much you have disappointed God, the message of Easter is a message of comfort for these disciples and Peter. So folks, dear friend, if you feel overburdened, if you feel overwhelmed with a, with, a, with a sense of guilt, with a sense of God cannot accept you back, you did not do it as bad as Peter did. You were never in the a, in a presence of Jesus, disowning Jesus three times at the most crucial time of his life. You have not failed Jesus more than Peter has. And if, P, if Jesus is welcoming Peter back and inviting Peter back, he's, he's inviting you today. This is the message of Easter. No matter how, ma- how much, how many times, how bad you have failed God, He is willing to meet you again. And if today you would like to have that encounter with the living Lord, with the Lord who is telling us today, He will meet us in Galilee, not a geographical Galilee, but a journey of faith, a journey when we encounter Jesus in faith. And you know what, friends? It was not just the the disciples and Peter who needed to encounter Jesus in Galilee. It was the women as well. 
because the only thing, the only element in the gospel narratives, in the resurrection narratives that can heal the doubts, that can heal the bewilderment, that can heal the fear, that can heal the silence, is not the empty tomb, is not simply a display of the power of God, but it's an encounter with a living Jesus. Have you had that encounter? Ben Withington, one of the New Testament theologians, has said the following about the Gospel of Mark. He had called it, he had called this passage in the Gospel of Mark the end of the beginning of the Gospel. Because Mark has begun his Gospel with the phrase, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And here at the end, as we saw at the beginning, this Gospel gives us a hint that we might not have the actual ending of the Gospel that the words may have been lost. And I'm not going to get with you today into the whole doctrine of, of how that could be the case. Why is it that God could not protect His Word to be preserved? May I simply say this? Is it possible that in God's predestination, in God's provision, He allowed the Gospel of Mark's, Mark to have no end because the Gospel of Jesus Christ does not have an end? The Gospel of Jesus Christ wants to live out, wants to continue its story here and now today. If you're here today and have been visiting with us today and the Lord has been speaking to your heart, the message of Easter is very clear. It's a message of human limitation. You cannot comprehend the resurrection in your own power, in your own ability to understand it. But the message of Easter is a message of hope. It's a message of Christ conquering the power of death. The greatest obstacle has been overcome. It's a message of comfort for those who feel that they have failed Jesus. For those who feel that they have failed the Lord, Jesus is inviting you back. He wants to meet with you. Have you encountered him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way the Gospel of Mark has presented to us the resurrection. Thank you that it has given us a picture of human failure. The failure of not even understanding and comprehending the resurrection when it first happened. But Lord, there are some of us here today who feel just like the women at the tomb, bewildered, afraid, and silent, and unable to react in an appropriate way. But Father, we pray that this message, the message of hope, the message of comfort that we have heard today would pierce our hearts. And we pray, Father, that through the Holy Spirit, you would allow Jesus to meet us in this place where we are right now. If there's someone here today that has heard the message of the resurrection, if the Spirit of God, if, if you have encountered the voice of the living Christ, the living Jesus, and today you would like to respond to him, as the music will start playing, I want to give you an invitation. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the one who was raised from the dead, to give you life, to give us, all of us, life. Let us respond to the Lord in prayer.